Welcome to the Career Wanderlust podcast, your compass for new career horizons. Today, we are talking with Mike Bush. Mike has a diverse and extensive background in marketing, communications, and public relations, working with both leading companies and agencies. Mike is currently the Chief Growth Officer with CDL 1000. Now, in the beginning of his career, Mike worked his way up through the PR agency ranks until he was Managing Director of Fusion Public Relations. Now, from there, he made the move in-house and he worked in the transportation and logistics industry as Head of Communications with Next Trucking and Cargomatic. From there, he went on to manage his own communications firm, Nomad Communications, before taking on this Chief Growth Officer role with CDL 1000. Mike has successfully navigated his clients and his companies through a wide variety of challenges while consistently generating millions in revenue and strong, positive publicity. I'm really excited to learn more. Mike, thank you for joining us on the Career Wanderlust podcast. Kelly, thank you so much for having me. That was the best intro I've ever had from anything. I might, I might have to ask you to, to come around with me and introduce me in meetings. That was pretty awesome. Oh, I would love to. I'm happy to. Sure. <laughs> now, could, could you share with us maybe what has been some of your favorite career advice and, and why? Yeah, I mean, so if I look back at when I got started, and one of the pieces of advice, actually, Julie, is something you told me almost 20 years ago. Oh, um, oh. Which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so one of the, one of the, the early things that I, I learned, and this is actually from Julie, and what was to keep a spreadsheet of the accounts that I work on. Break down a list of everything that you work on. When you're in an agency setting, whether you're in a, a really great agency where they say, look, you've only got three or four clients, or at a turn and burn shop where you're carrying six, seven, eight clients, you're going to have a diverse range of experience. And over time, you're going to forget that. Right. So the ability to pull out a spreadsheet and say, you know, in insurance space, I've carried seven customers. Holy cow. I know that industry or in logistics, I've carried eight companies or whatever it might be. Having that as a frame of reference is mm -hmm. so valuable, whether you're interviewing for a new job, whether you're trying to land business, when you can say, oh, I've worked with these three companies in your space and here are the results. Right. It's so much more powerful than just kind of explaining, yeah, I've been in insurance or whatever it might be. Um, right. So that one is really big to me. The other two, and I think, you know, when it comes to like getting started, I'm really passionate about this. If you're a rookie level PR person or in your first or second job, find reporters at trade publications that you think are really smart because mm -hmm. trade publications are a great place for reporters to grow their career, gain their knowledge best, and eventually end up at a large publication, a top tier publication. Right. If you look at the Wall Street Journal advertising section, they've all come from the same publication. <laughs> get to know them at that publication so that when they get promoted, you're kind of going with them. And whether right. they go in promotion size and stay in journalism or whether they go in-house for somebody, in which case they become a referral or a source of business, or even somebody, this is really critical. If you're pitching a trade show and or pitching you know, a speaking opportunity, being able to say, hey, I know so-and-so over at Google, we worked together in the past, and bringing them into a panel idea makes that panel so much sexier than what you might be presenting. So build relationships early, find the people that you think are really talented, get to know them and keep them in your network. Don't, even if you switch to an in-house setting and go back to agency, make sure you retain those relationships because they can be critical to your career. And then oh, sort so of the, the third thing that I think is really, really important is don't be afraid to build your own brand. If I look Ooh. back at my career in 20 years, I've built followings of a million people over and over again for all the companies I've worked with or for all the companies I've represented. And if I look at my Twitter, I've got like 4,000 followers. <laughs> 
if I had it to do again, I'd claim a little bit more credit in sort of a tasteful way, whether that's just being out there saying, I'm so delighted to see my client ABC company featured by, you know, so-and-so at the Wall Street Journal or whatever. But building my own credibility is something I wish in hindsight I would have taken the time to do because I really, I didn't. And now that I'm, you know, 20 years into my career, I'm way too old to try to establish myself as somebody who knows what they're doing on TikTok. Right? <laughs> no, yeah. you're not. No, you're not. I disagree with that. <laughs> you absolutely can establish yourself now, but really good advice. And it actually gave me a little chills when you said that, you know, because we do, most people forget to do that. But yes, in the PR industry, those specialists who do this for everyone else, so many, <laughs> so many of them are not doing that for themselves. And, and you know how. <laughs> exactly. So, it's, it's an eating your own dog food type yeah. of thing. You yeah. know? It's really tough to say, but it, it's something we all kind of forget about because we're, we're, in, the, we're in the grind, right? Like, like right. a PR person then says, man, I'm so excited. And, and the great PR people say, okay, the story ran today. Now I go to work, right? Like we, we work mm-hmm. up to, okay, we want this, this yeah. feature story. Once it runs, okay, great. It's how do you provide value on top of that? Are you doing mm-hmm. stuff? Are you giving your client the materials to share that out in ways that one, lead to leads, but two, maybe keep that reporter or that editor's attention. If you think about it from the perspective, and this is a little jaded, but if you think about it, reporters do look at page views. They do look at, if I write about company mm-hmm. X, what was the, the traffic I generated from it? Well, if company X promotes the heck out of that story mm-hmm. and that traffic goes up, that reporter or that editor might be more inclined to revisit you in a couple of months. So you know, right. understanding that that component from the sales perspective and from your client perspective is really important take a couple extra steps to make sure you're sharing the stuff that you created for your client. You know, it's very easy right. to build your own brand to kind of claim credit and say, I'm so excited to see this game live or thrilled to see paradigm staffing do something so very cool and then promote that. Even if it's just sharing it on your own, you're going to build right. your own followers at the same time you're helping your customer. Exactly. Really, really good advice. And I like that you, you're given permission too. you know, it's like, even if some people might be thinking about it, maybe they're not sure, give the, you're giving them permission, go do it. <laughs> Sometimes that's all we need. And I just want to say the spreadsheet, that really is key, especially as you move on through your career, because those just start building. And it is so great to go back and be able to find those things in the past and pull them up. I still do it to this day with clients. <laughs> I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you still have access to mine, Julie. It's, it's really funny. But <laughs> if you go into your shared Google file, you might actually find a document called Experience. That's me. <laughs> go, go down deep. I'm going to have to go. That's really funny. That's so great. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Now, I love, okay, I love a good story. Could you share a story with us that, was an impactful lesson or just something that you learned in the course of your career that might benefit other people to hear about it? You know, what happened and what did you learn? Yeah. So I think when you work in crisis comms and lots of people are willing to say, oh, I've done crisis communications, right? Everybody thinks everything is a crisis. I understand that. Um, In one role that I was operating in, I was the head of of PR for a a company that provides loyalty programs for financial institutions. And I woke up to one of those things that you actually don't believe can happen until it actually happens. We had had one of our employees drove a pickup truck built into a bomb into Times Square and tried to blow up Times Square. I don't know if you ever heard this, Julie. Oh Um, my God. That was one of your employees? Yes. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Um, So being able, so the the lesson here is going to be a couple fold, but the Mm -hmm. first thing to consider is, okay, you find this out. I woke up to a text message at I think six in the morning from our attorney that said, call me now. Uh, FBI in our office. And you're thinking, okay, did someone steal his phone? What just happened? Um, 
so so that was kind of like that moment of terror of okay what just happened what, what's yeah. going on uh Scary. so kind of learned that the the first lesson i learned so i think you know we everybody's gone through a crisis communication plan or every planning event or class or whatever to say what is really a crisis comms thing what, mm-hmm. what are the steps you should take get your war room together, take the time to craft your message. By the way, when you get that text message at 6 a.m., there's no war room planning. There is, your phone is about to blow up with with 500 or 1,000 employee calls, as well as media calls. Because as soon as 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 this person's name leaked out, of course, the media did what what we all do. You go to Google, you go to LinkedIn. And then when you looked at this this individual's LinkedIn, you saw he was reporting to the CFO of companies like J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank of America. Now, to be clear, he was an entry-level employee who was writing a report that was being shipped to somebody, that being shipped to somebody, being shipped to somebody, okay. being shipped to somebody, who was then passing it on to somebody within one of the large banks who was then passing it up the chain three or four steps. It's not a direct line of report here, but mm-hmm. we've all embellished LinkedIn, right? Like, come on. Right. We all know that not everything on LinkedIn is 100% true. So, you know, being able to kind of go through that, step one. I think the most important lesson I learned from this is that when you're facing a crisis, the very first discussion you have to have isn't about planning. The very first discussion you have to have is getting all of your employees aligned. Mm. Because as this happened, and mm. as we learned about it, the very first thing we did, we, we sent an internal note that said, look, you're going to get calls from reporters. We know this. We knew reporters were calling the switchboard and just mm. punching in whatever extension they Anybody. could. And they were asking questions. So the first thing was, here's Mike's name. Here's his phone number. Here's his email address. He's the only one allowed to talk. By the way, you're going to see some craziness today. And we saw not only the dialing for dollars, reporters calling in, we, there was a smoking hut in the building. This is you know, 15 years ago or whatever, so smoking wasn't so <laughs> terrible. Um, we saw uh, the same runner run by the smoking hut every 15 minutes. We thought, what the hell's going on there? There's a reporter, reporter trying to get commentary. We ran a shuttle to and from the train. We saw, people try, we saw reporters trying to sneak onto the shuttle to get oh, commentary. Goodness. The fight for who was going to get some sort of exclusive scoop was unbelievable. And without that very first communication, which was to all employees, everybody right now, we're going to provide as much info as we can. As you probably know or saw, the FBI is here. So there are certain things we can't tell you. We can give you as much information as we can. But in terms of communicating to the press, do not handle it. Do not talk to anybody. If it's somebody you don't know, don't share it. I mean, it's kind of like that right. terrible office of the terrible, terrible episode of the office where, where the printers start exploding. The very <laughs> first thing Joe should have done was tell everybody, just be quiet, right? Like Andy never leaks it to the press. <laughs> Kelly never leaks it to the press. If Joe steps in and says, guys, you're my, you're my constituency first. And I think that was, that's an important lesson that I learned, especially as you go through kind of any crisis issue. Oh, it seems like something so simple, but but yes, not something that most people would remember a thing to do. I mean, as soon as you said that, it was like, yeah, well, that makes sense. But yeah, I believe that's a step that that is often left out because people are often talking when they shouldn't be. But so simple to say only one person shares and done. So that's really great, great advice. Thank you. I can't even imagine how crazy that must have been throughout the whole thing. I It was a rough couple of days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's pretty intense. Uh, You know, Mike, you successfully made the move from agency into in-house, which is something that I I get. I talk to a lot of people who are looking to do that. Is there any advice that you'd give someone who has maybe struggled a little bit in trying to make that shift? 
Yeah, I think the most important thing, and you can set yourself up for success in the agency setting as you start to transition over or as you start to think about transitioning over. And the way to do it is, again, you know, when you get that, that article in PR, right, you get that hit, you're like, yeah, this is great. I got a top tier story. Stop thinking that that's the victory point and start thinking that that's where the job begins. What do you do with a front page Wall Street Journal article to make it more meaningful to your customer? And if that's, you know, look, we sent over a suggested LinkedIn post for you that, that touts the corporate side. We're thrilled to pieces to be on here. If it's a story about three things that are, are happening in the housing market and your, cust- your client is in the housing market, ask one of their people for a fourth thing so that they share the story on their own LinkedIn with their own commentary, right? Now you're mm. expanding the story. And for each of those pieces, include three or four or five extra tweets. Now you're talking 10, 12, 15 tweets and three or four different ways to share the story based on your audience. As soon as you start to do that, and as soon as you start to put metrics behind it, the in-house opportunity is way easier because you can say, I not only secured this story, this feature piece for my client that was really great, but we made it meaningful by doing these five things and then tracking who engaged with it, who liked it. Go to Twitter two days after your story's run, insert the URL of the story and find out how many people shared it out. Send your customer a list of those people. Hey, I don't know all these folks, but 10 of them are industry folks. Five of them look like they could be client and five of them look like they're related to the reporter. Who cares? Because all of that is actionable on the sales side. And when you start to think that way, that's when you're going to be perfectly positioned to go in-house. Mm, really good advice because that's all the information that you need to be sharing in the interview in order to be the one chosen. And if you don't have that back up, you're not going to make the impression that you need to. So really good advice. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about CDL 1000. I mean, Absolutely. You know, what do you guys do well? What do you look for in your talent? Yeah. Give us a little spiel. So we're kind of a weird company, Jelly. I think most people over the past few years have heard about the supply chain. There was probably an article in every paper in America at one point about the fact that there were 108 steamships, giant vessels with 20,000 containers off the yes. port of LA Long Beach. We all yes. read this. Yes. Supply chain became sexy, which is really cool. But there are a couple of things people still don't know. And I think the first one is that when you see a truck on the, side, on the road, so an 18-wheeler pulling a metal container or pulling mm-hmm. a trailer, 90% of trucks on the road are part of a small fleet. So six trucks or less. So if you're a company like Walmart or Amazon or Rite Aid, and you're looking to move goods and lots of goods, you only have a couple options. Option one is you can build your own fleet. Okay, this is highly expensive because you have to go buy trucks, you have to go buy fuel, you have to pay drivers, you have to pay their benefits, workers comp in the trucking space is horrific. Also, 50% of the miles those trucks drive are empty miles. There's laws in place that say Walmart can't move goods for other companies. So the Walmart truck driver moves stuff from a distribution center to the storefront, and then he drives back empty. So literally 50% of the miles that you're paying for are completely useless. That's a bad approach. Option number two is you can sign agreements with 4,000 or 5,000 trucking companies. (laughs) Your procurement team, they're going to hate you. They're going to be getting invoices in PDFs, faxes, spreadsheets. There's going to be no similar technology. There are 2,500 different operating systems in the trucking space available. So no way you can, you, can you do this if you want to know where your stuff is and you want to have a team that just doesn't walk out on you. So our approach was to say, what if we take the top trucking companies in America, we put them under one umbrella, they bring whatever technology they're bringing. We build an orchestration layer between those trucking companies and large shippers. So we work predominantly with the top 100 importers and exporters really in America. Smart. 
and we connect them with a fleet of 26,000 trucking companies that have all been vetted, proven quality, uh, have no issues with drug and alcohol clearinghouse, have the right insurance, high instance of uh, being on time, even basic stuff like that. So we identify the best trucking companies. We then approach big shippers and say, we want to control your first mile. Can we handle port work, which is the hardest set of stuff in the industry? Because if you can control the port work, everything else falls into place, right? So from, from the port, we can then do over-the-road trucking, which is the guys that drive across the, the, the country. We can leverage trains for that. We can take care of all, all everything else. But that first set of, of movements, from the moment goods are created in China or Vietnam or wherever it might be and shipped, they go through 14 different sets of hands before they're delivered to a distribution center. So we sit in that intersection trying to Amazing. take all the friction out of that in order to build a company that's uh, supply chain focused. So smart. I just absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I, I actually, <laughs> I know it's this huge company, but I didn't know all the ins and outs of how this was working. So really interesting. Very Thank smart. You. So well, before you go, well, actually, are, are you hiring? Should anyone, if anyone's interested in working for CDL 1000, um, what's the type of talent that you guys look for? Yeah, so our needs right now are on the sales side. Uh, so okay. somebody that's got freight relationships, the, the freight space is very relationship-based. So we're looking for salespeople that are 10 to 12 years into their career and have a book mm-hmm. of business that they know. If you're younger in your career or junior in your career, that's not to say you're excluded. We are looking for account management support. We're looking for, we do have a couple of open and marketing and sales roles on the junior level. And then we're looking for, for folks that have operations jobs, folks that have been in Perfect. supply chain, know what it means when we say, hey, we've got a vessel with 500, we've got 500 cans on the next vessel. You know, where, where can we find 500 chassis? Somebody that knows those terms and says, okay, I gotcha. It's really important for us. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. And then again, we are a technology company. Like it, it's, it's an orchestration layer that sits between truckers and carriers. So if you're a programmer who knows what they're doing, we'd love to hear from you as well. Mm, perfect. Perfect. Okay. And now before you go, I love to ask people if there is anything that you have either read, watched, or listened to that had a positive impact on you that other people could benefit from well from as well. Could you share something like that? Yeah. So I feel like I'm in PR and marketing, so I have to yeah. say Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, right? <laughs> but if you're looking to go vertical or if you're looking to explore supply chain, and I run a... a Shameless plug here. I, actually, I started a podcast a couple of years ago called uh, oh, Careers on the Move with the idea mm-hmm. of spotlighting opportunities in supply chain, right? Like a college Perfect. kid doesn't say, let me go work for a trucking company. Mm-hmm. But if you give me a college kid that's got a, a statistics background and I say, look, you're going to use your skills to curb emissions 30% in the planet, their eyes light up. If you give me an engineering kid that's, and I say, look, you're going to build an Iron Man suit that protects dock workers at the port, their eyes light up. So the idea behind the podcast was to say, let me spotlight interesting people in the space and show what they're doing. So we had like the chief supply chain officer of Starbucks came on and he talked about the fact that he's been to 50 different countries to taste coffee because of supply chain role. Yes. That's awesome. The book I would recommend if you, if you're considering supply chain, which is the industry that I have just been in for too long and know too well. Uh, Chris Mims, who's a a personal technology reporter at the Wall Street Journal, wrote a book called Arriving Today. And Mm. he traced the micro USB charger we all have on our Android phone Mm -hmm. from creation in Vietnam to delivery at somebody's house in Minnesota. And he highlights all of the complexities and all of the weirdness and all of the oddities that have to happen for each of us to get a simple charger into our hand, never mind the phone or all of that stuff. This is just the ability to charge it. It's a wonderful read that highlights all of the friction and all of the challenges throughout the industry 
and all the things that tech people and can, can come here and really, really solve. It's, it's an amazing opportunity in supply chain right now. That's super interesting. Yes, thank you for that suggestion. Fantastic. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you coming and joining me on the Career Wanderlust podcast. Thank you for joining us. Charlie, my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invite. Thank you for joining us on the Career Wanderlust podcast. If you find value in learning from others, give us a like and subscribe. If you're looking to grow your communications, marketing, public relations, or sales and biz dev team with the best talent and quickly check us out at paradigmstaffing.com and submit a request. We are wishing you a most successful and fulfilling career. Until next time.